I'm happy to tell you that I've signed a new benefit cost analysis rule under the Clean Air Act. It's been more than a month since election day. I pledge to be a president who seeks not to divide, but unify. Hello, I'm Jason Dick, and this is The Transition, a special edition of Political Theater. It's Thursday, December 10th, 2020. President Donald Trump promised to drain the swamp in Washington. And regardless of whether that's all just rhetoric, people responded. It's a cheap applause line, and if there's anything the current president likes, it's applause. Running against the swamp or official Washington and its government workers and policymakers and lobbyists and the like is a time-honored tactic. So people like to rail about the bureaucracy, at least until they need something from it. What we're seeing from President-elect Joe Biden is a different approach than the swamp bashing we've all become accustomed to. He's given the technocratic approach to government a boost with a series of cabinet nominees who have deep experience in government, especially in the executive and legislative branches. CQ Roll Call Chief Correspondent Niels Lesniewski and I are going to talk about how the Biden team is loading up on workhorses and making a concerted effort to reach out to Congress. Meanwhile, in the outgoing Trump administration, several departments and agencies are busy readying their midnight rules, those last-minute tasks designed to lock in their own priorities before the next administration takes over. Staff writer Ben Hulak talks about how busy the EPA has been and what other midnight rules are afoot regarding the environment and energy. Niels Lesniewski, our chief correspondent at CQ Roll Call, uh, you have uh, been doing some reporting about the incoming Biden team and the outgoing Trump administration, of course, but we're uh, gonna focus on your reporting on, on the incoming team and what it's like. And my my question is, you know, we've got another uh, sort of steady rollout of uh, of people that will be serving in the Biden administration. And uh, my question is, are the bureaucrats back? <laughs> because when I saw the, uh, you know, Dennis McDonough, uh, the former White House chief of staff to President Obama, uh, be tapped uh, to run the Veterans Affairs uh, uh, department, I thought like, okay, this is one of those sprawling departments that is just fraught with peril. Uh, you, you have uh, more veterans returning that need care than ever before because we're still in the middle of our longest running war. And you have McDonough who, like his previous claim to fame uh, is just that John Hamm played him in the movie The Report. Uh, is Boring is back, dull is back. <laughs> Bureaucrats are back, right? That's right. McDonough is sort of the most bureaucratic choice uh, that we've seen so far. Of course, he worked for, you know, he was the White House Chief of Staff. He worked for Tom Daschle when Daschle was in Democratic leadership in the Senate. Uh, and and obviously the VA is uh, never the most exciting of all of the government agencies, but it's also one of the easiest to screw up. Yes, as we've seen again and again. <laughs> You'll remember at the beginning of the Obama years, uh, I was thinking back to when uh, Eric Shinseki, who was a, a great general, uh, but turned out not to be the right fit for the Department of Veterans Affairs by most any estimation, uh, and there have been all sorts of issues over the years with veterans not being able to receive care, uh, people who are too far from veterans or VA health centers who are having long wait times. Uh, some of that has certainly improved from the worst of it, uh, but there's plenty of work still to be done for the VA. And as you say, there, there's plenty of veterans 
who uh, are certainly still in their younger years uh, because they were uh, in served in Afghanistan and Iraq who you know, may have service-related disabilities we don't even really fully comprehend yet. You know, just this week, there's a, a provision in the defense authorization that relates to the blue water veterans still dealing with issues from Vietnam that we haven't fully resolved. Uh, and so there'll be plenty for uh, Mr. McDonough to do uh, if he is, in fact, confirmed as the secretary. Uh, they're, they're going sort of the technocrat route uh, rather than bringing in a big name to that job. You know, you mentioned the Blue Water uh, controversy. I mean, the, the, and, you know, the, the scope of the problem is encapsulated there, which is that we still have a large number of veterans from the Vietnam War. Uh, these are people who are, are in their 70s and 80s and in some cases their 90s. Uh, and then you have people in their 20s. Uh, who have been serving in wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, who are coming back in a, in a you know one of the the real success stories of of medicine in the 20th and 21st century is that we are able to save people who normally we would not have been able to save on a battlefield. The flip side of it, though, is that we have to deal with you know taking care of them because we have committed to taking care of these young men and women, uh, and sometimes that is entailing grievous injuries that they suffer when they're in their 20s. They may have. 60 years of life in front of them with that they need to be taken care of. And it's, it's a remarkable challenge. And, and you know, McDonough's not alone in being sort of this category of experienced hand taking policy roles. Maybe the other most notable one, and I know that we all have talked to our, our colleague, Ellen Ferguson, who covers uh, agriculture and trade policy for us about this, the return of Tom Vilsack to the Department of Agriculture, where he was the secretary for the entirety of the Obama administration. You know, if you want to say generically, who is qualified to be the secretary of agriculture? Well, the guy who did it for eight years is probably qualified for that job. There are a lot of areas where they, the uh, Biden team seems to be making calculations that they don't want surprises, yeah. that they don't want to have a situation where they go into a confirmation hearing or someone gets confirmed and then they quickly have to run them out of town because they turned out not to be what, what they appeared to be on paper. They're, they're picking largely uh, people who everybody knows, and that's even true when they're picking people who might have issues with confirmation, like Nera Tandon, mm -hmm. uh, who's going to run the Office of Management and Budget, the, the, the leader of the Center for American Progress. The concerns with her that are Republicans who are complaining about things she's tweeted, which is ironic, of course, given that at real Donald Trump tweets things all the time. There, there but, may be a, a there's I'm sure there's a word that is like ultra irony uh, out there. Maybe we'll have to create it at some point. But yes, that would apply. Even in, in her case, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of question as to her sort of experience level and background for the job, having worked for uh, John Podesta for so long and sort of being an experienced person around D.C., so they're not going to have a whole lot, I don't think, of issues where they're going to run into issues with concerns about people's ability levels for jobs. You know, that's a nice segue to some of the reporting you've done about the legislative outreach. Um, I mean, that that the Biden team 
uh, has has been doing. I mean, some of the names um, that that we've seen uh, pop up on the legislative affairs team. You and uh, and and our colleague Jessica Werman did a, a nice uh, a piece about about this about some of the efforts that the Biden team has made that they want to reach out to all 535 members of Congress uh, before Inauguration Day, and they're well on their way to doing that. Yeah, they're they're up to about 300 already. There are lots of uh, discussions that are going on with with incoming uh, members members elect as well, and you know it, it's just remarkable because one of the things that happened in reporting out that story, the way that we sort of are dividing the labor around here because of the, the pandemic. Uh, Jessica was one of our reporters who was operating out of Capitol Hill for a couple of days the last week or so. Uh, and so she she provided a lot of great content from members of Congress for this story. Maybe the craziest one was in the course of a conversation with Pete DeFazio, the chairman of the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. He said that he had no idea who his legislative liaison is. In the current, yeah, Trump administration, right. So th- this is sort of the scale of the problem, right? If, if one of supposedly Donald Trump's priorities uh, was infrastructure. It's it's infrastructure week right now, isn't it? <laughs> I'm sure it probably is. But yet the chairman of the committee doesn't know who he's even supposed to talk to about infrastructure, not whether or not they're going to agree on anything, not whether or not there's going to be sort of a political problem. Literally can't pick up the phone and call anybody because he doesn't know who to call. And and now, I mean, you know, we've seen some of the latest strings of some some of the other folks that that Biden has tapped are going to be familiar uh, to to people on Capitol Hill because they're coming from Capitol Hill. So like the the outreach that's underway, um, they they already know how to talk to uh, their their colleagues. Uh, it will not be like uh, a lot of members of the Trump administration that you had to tell them which side of the building was the Senate and which side was the House. Yes, and it's it's going to be uh, completely, completely different in that regard. Kind of getting back to to our original sort of point, you know, when we were talking about this, is that, you know, the swamp, you know, is this punchline, right? That the the current president likes to throw around, and and it's easy to hate Washington and and blah blah blah, but you know, the vast majority of people who come to Washington, whatever their political affiliation, they actually do come to do good things, to do public service. And the the really good ones become bureaucrats and know, and know actually how to get things done. This is going to be a, a fascinating uh, transition to watch because even in the case where uh, you have political differences, even in the case where you know Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans don't want anything to do with the Biden legislative agenda, which is probably going to be the case. The times when it becomes important still is when you have these must-pass bills. You know, as we're we're sitting here recording this uh, podcast, oh, about you know thirty hours from the government shutting down. <laughs> this is when you need to be able to uh, communicate, and it's not entirely clear to me in the current administration whether or not there's very much that they can do to contribute to the conversation on Capitol Hill, good, bad, or indifferent. Most of it's probably bad because it's coming in the form of a tweet from the president saying he's going to veto things. Um, but that's that's sort of the where this dynamic may be very different. Not that 
not that things are going to be magically better and that people are going to get a lot of uh, bipartisan deals uh, done. And But when when push comes to shove, people will know who to pick up the phone and talk to. Well, Niels, thanks for uh, talking about this and your reporting. And we've got a long way to go. <laughs> Thank you. Ben Hulak, you are our staff writer that focuses on energy and environment, regulations, what Congress does, what the administration does. And uh, you've been reporting on some of the midnight rulemaking uh, that the Trump administration, the outgoing Trump administration, has been formulating. Uh, most recently, they, uh, they've, they've changed course uh, against the advice of some of the, even their own scientists uh, that, uh, in, in the EPA about soot rules. Uh, let's talk about that specifically and, and also what else you might, you might be uh, looking at as the, the Trump administration sort of comes to an end. But for right now, let's talk about this rule that they just uh, came out with on soot. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So Monday, it's been a busy week to just back up for EPA. Monday was the soot rule, and Andrew Wheeler, the EPA administrator, announced that it doesn't sound nefarious and it isn't necessarily on on paper, but he announced that the EPA was going to be holding its soot rules steady for the foreseeable future. EPA periodically checks in and raises or lowers pollution standards for a handful of of pollutants, and soot is among those pollutants. Soot is sort of the shorthand for these um, really fine particles that get trapped in people's lungs and then enter the bloodstream, and and it's really dangerous. The the long and short of it is that on Monday, uh, Wheeler said EPA was going to hold steady on those standards, even though internally EPA scientists recommended raising the uh, restrictions on soot emissions, saying that it would save potentially 12,000 or more lives annually. We then fast forward to Wednesday, yesterday, which uh, was another big day for him, for for Mr. Wheeler. And he announced the EPA would would do something that was also foreseen, very predicted from those who watch EPA. And it's very subtle, but what EPA did yesterday was tweak how it measures the costs and benefits of air regulations, of air rules, and essentially put blinders on the agency forcing it in the future when it writes air rules to take a very narrow look at the pros and cons of the rule they're writing at the time. And we'll have to focus in particular on how it hurts or benefits Americans. And that is a pretty is not such a subtle jab at future climate regulations that an incoming Biden administration might write. So it's a very sort of um, not necessarily myopic, but it's it's a very, as I said, narrow view that could then limit a whole slew of of steps uh, that future administrations might want to pursue. And and one of the things that I've always sort of found fascinating about this, the moniker is midnight rulemaking, you know, when, when an outgoing administration just sort of, you know, comes up with a, a bunch of different regulations. The first time I remember covering it was the when the Clinton administration uh, promulgated these rules yes. about ergonomics uh, in the workplace. And it, and uh, and you would have thought that right. they had set off a bomb or something. Um, and 
what what's always so fascinating to me about it, Ben, is that like there are ways that the incoming administration can put a halt on things, can rewrite rules, can do new rules. It seems like one of the biggest um, casualties in this is the incoming administration's time. <laughs> because if they have to keep going back and and reexamining a bunch of stuff that is has some far-reaching ramifications, uh, then then that that's one more thing that they don't get to do that's their own priority. I, I don't cover politics directly. Uh, we have campaign reporters who do that, but you know the Biden folks are still sort of asserting themselves and trying to really. We're still litigating the campaign as a nation, so. You know, certain people, I'm sure, in the Biden camp are already thinking about these rules that we're discussing here. But um, I would imagine their time is even shorter because of the circumstances and the national political atmosphere. It's interesting you bring up the ergonomic rule from the Clinton era. You're right. That was seen as um, I was I was a rather young person at the time. But, um, you know, reading about it, it does seem like this was some um, horrible and and. Uh, backhanded move, but it was about ergonomic chairs at OSHA, I believe, which sounds so tame. <laughs> yes. That's right, which is, I, I mean... Furniture wars, basically. <laughs> the steps that the Trump administration, and, and by no means are they, you know, alone in their, their late hour moves. The Obama administration, you know, did plenty of, uh, issued plenty of rules on its way out. These are these are more wide ranging than just office chairs. This is stuff that affects public health. Drilling in the Arctic is on the table. Seismic testing, which is basically loud sonic guns that technicians use to look for petroleum, that's on the table in in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, the, the stakes are certainly higher than uh, a lazy boy in an office. I'm sure we've really angered somebody in the labor department <laughs> now, uh, but but I mean you are right, and we'll we'll keep uh, tabs on what's going because it sounds like uh, you know even though we've we've got a little bit more than a month left in the Trump administration, you've got your hands full just with the energy and environment stuff. Yes, indeed. That's going to do it for this edition of Political Theater's The Transition. On behalf of the CQ Roll Call Newsroom, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.